Welcome back, Poison Pals, to another episode. So, uh, what's going on, Ernie? <laughs> <laughs> Nothing much, dude. I have, um, I got to hang out with the crew, the old crew. So I hung out with Medina, Danielle, and Talia over the weekend for Danielle's birthday. And I saw Darla. Darla and Talia stayed over at my place mm-hmm. uh, for the weekend. And that was super fun to have a nice little reunion. We went to see Alcatraz, yes, which was so yes. dope. I, I have to say, I don't think I'm going to go back because it definitely, it was weird vibes for sure. <laughs> <laughs> and I was definitely like looking for some ghosts. For but, sure. Have you been there, Megan? I have. And I, I love Alcatraz for that reason. As a historical yeah. part of the city, I feel like, of course, you're going to get weird vibes because <laughs> that is a prison. And, know. you know, prison is associated with, you know, negative things. So, mm-hmm. um, but I, I think it's actually a beautiful island. And I think I think how the structure or the, in, the infrastructure has been kept or maintained mm-hmm is kind of beautiful in some ways i don't know i don't know how people feel about the idea of like a prison being called beautiful but um (laughs) i think but i also think there is definitely a romanticization of alcatraz because of all the movies that it's referenced in Mm -hmm, it's mm -hmm. like famous and infamous you know like right i don't know no totally. but i freaking enjoy that tour let me tell you (laughs) that tour is good i was gonna say that tour is really really good good. they have it down to a T it's very well done where you they tell you exactly where to go it's you can just go at your own pace with your own self which I really enjoyed so I got to have a little bit of like my own experience within Mm -hmm. the tour of Alcatraz but I was gonna say Megan I felt the exact same way there was this dichotomy of total creep vibes Mm -hmm. but also beauty it was just so beautiful the location of Alcatraz is situated in such a way where there are certain parts at the prison where you could see a really nice view of the Golden Gate Bridge. Mm -hmm. And this is a view that even former prisoners would see because there's like essentially like the the quote unquote gym or the field that they would go on. Mm -hmm. You could see Golden Gate Bridge and the water and whatever the whole bit. Right. And then there was also a garden. This was what I wasn't clear on. So I don't know if this was a garden that was there intended to by actual prisoners during the time, or that was a garden that was developed afterwards, after it was shut down as a prison. Mm. But either way, it was uh, really beautiful. There is a part of the tour, maybe I can post it, where people escaped by the vents, which mm. is kind of like what I was thinking too, but mm-hmm. still... That vent is tiny, and mm. the way that they just opened it up with the metal spoons, that must have taken years. Yeah, yeah. I yeah, honestly know that if... Because, again, there's so many movie versions slash interpretations of how people escape from Alcatraz. So a lot of my knowledge of it now is just pulled from that. Like, I honestly can't even remember parts yeah. of the tour. That said... <laughs> based on like how the movies depict it. I just know I'm like, man, if I was in that position, I would be too lazy and too disheartened to even bother <laughs> to to whittle away at a cement wall for years just to mm, escape. Like, I, I don't know. But uh, whatever. It makes for a good story, I guess. It does make for a good story. And there's one part that was like specifically that stood out to me the most there there's a part where they go through all the prisoners or some notable prisoners rather mm-hmm. and one of them was a man they call he, he had a nickname of creepy mm. because he would only walk on his tippy toes <laughs> <laughs> there it was just fascinating it was all yeah. kinds of fascinating and there yeah i could go on and on and on but it was just really really interesting yeah uh, and we uh that was like the start of our morning we woke up at like 7 a.m and got our butts over to the bay and on a ferry for all of this and it was super fun yeah i think um you know i think alcatraz falls under one of those um tourist attractions that um people who are visiting sf for the first time might actually pass up because they're they probably think oh Mm -hmm. it's you know i know this is a huge tourist thing is it really worth my money all that totally all valid questions and as someone who's frequented the Embarcadero like just has gone to SF many a time because of just proximity to Sacramento like Mm -hmm. I Mm -hmm. feel that it is 
one of the tourist things you absolutely should do when you go to SF. Like if you can, you can buy a ticket. I think it is a hundred percent worth it. Like as soon as I knew I was going to go live in San Francisco for pharmacy school, that was on my list for all four years. Like I want to go to Alcatraz. That was like top of my list. I don't know Mm -hmm. why it took me so long, but glad I did it. Yeah. Anyways, Um, maybe, yeah, maybe we can transition. So I know of what you were talking about today. So, uh, yes. Uh, was there any sort of uh, arsenic usage in Alcatraz? A little hint towards what we will be talking about? No, but you know what? They, so like I mentioned earlier, there was a prison garden, which mm-hmm. is actually so beautiful. It's, mm-hmm. It kind of like weaves through some old ruins. Mm-hmm. And when we went out there, I was looking and there was belladonna in the mm. garden, which is not arsenic, but it is right. poison. Yeah. <laughs> so I was saying like the way I would get out of Alcatraz is I would poison myself just <laughs> enough with some belladonna. So I get sent to the sick bay and that's how I'll escape somehow. Okay. I only got that far. I don't know gotcha. what the sick bay entails and if there's any right, windows right. there, but that's, that's where I got to. But no, no arsenic. So we'll actually get into that story now. This is the story of Victorian England and how women used to wear arsenic dresses. Mm -hmm. And for those who joined us on our live episode, this is what the episode was about, or the story was about for our Ukraine charity episode. So if you listen to that one and you're like, I already listened to that, I don't want to listen to this again. But there is some new stuff. So stick okay. around. All right, cool. New okay. stuff. Love new stuff. Yeah, new stuff. All right, let's get into it. So sources, I got my stuff from National Geographic, Racked, Bust, Magazine, Grunge, Wiki, and then an article from Jezebel. In 1861, the famous poet Henry Wadsworth Longfellow was sitting in his home one fine afternoon when his wife Fanny suddenly catches fire. Well, I cannot speak. It is a long day. <laughs> she dies. Surprisingly, this is not an unusual way to die. The 19th century, specifically Victorian-era London, were the days of candles and oil lamps and fireplaces, which were the only sources of light, and the wide hoop skirts that women wore were made of cotton and tulle were deliciously flammable. They were a constant walking fire hazard, but, you know, c'est la vie, that is Mm -hmm. fashion. Walk, walk, fashion, baby. (laughs) Do you know that song? Yeah, I love that. Walk, oh, walk, fashion, baby. I don't know what the rest is. Some like work and move that hips yeah, crazy. Know, I don't know. I don't work know. those hips crazy. Okay, so but it, it wasn't just the material that was flammable. The material was also toxic because the dresses were made out of arsenic. Mm. Arsenic, as we know, poison pals was everywhere in Victorian England. Victorian era is the poison era. It was definitely used as a murder weapon, but it was also used as a resource material to make normal everyday items like candles, curtains, wallpaper, soap, cosmetics, even playing cards. Mm. And that source is from James C. Wharton, his book titled The Arsenic Century, How Victorian Britain Was Poisoned at Home, Mm. Work, and Play. Mm. So all in all, that's all to say it wasn't a huge leap for them to start putting it in women's clothing. Mm And how this all began is in 1814 in Schweinfurt, Germany, mm. a company called the Wilhelm Dye and White Lead Company created a new green dye called Scheele's Green, mm. named after Carl Wilhelm Scheele. It's also known as Paris Green, I think, more colloquially. I was just going to say, so arsenic is like Victorian era's lead. But again, like that could yeah. be wrong because I need to remind myself when lead started being... <laughs> use crazy heavy but i know that had to do with cars and the and cars so i'm like i'm gonna assume <laughs> that yeah arsenic is the lead of the victorian era but you did say that totally. they used white lead as a dye so i guess there was cross they use lead I, I didn't mention it here but they used to during this time they used to use lead in makeup Mm-hmm. So women would apply all this makeup directly mm-hmm. on their face, yeah. and then they would get these open sores from, gotcha. obviously, the lead poisoning, and then they would put on more makeup to cover the sores. Oh, so, my yeah. gosh. Man, they're just... It's just this cycle. <laughs> no wonder, probably, during this time, it seems so dreary and everyone was sick. It's because they're poisoning themselves. They don't, they don't know it. 
They're poisoning themselves. They're deforming themselves. Yeah. And that's why they had so many masquerade balls. <laughs> they just cannot look at each other's faces. Um, that's uh, literally why. That is hilarious. <laughs> I don't know. My other question is, so I understand that, you know, Arsenic's showing up in all these products because it's being used and developed as mm-hmm. a dye by this company. Is it sure. just the dye that is pretty much the main cause of all this yeah yeah so basically i'll get into a little bit mm-hmm. later i guess this is the new the new subject matter mm-hmm. in the episode but the arsenic that's causing all of this it's a powder mm-hmm. that is green okay. so it's a it's basically a pigment that is the base for all of these other source materials yeah okay this particular shade of green was incredibly bold and was a shade that was almost jewel-like so much so that people began to began to call it emerald green and women loved it. I love it. I love this yeah, color I do. green. I do love emerald it's, green. It's gorgeous. It's kind of like iridescent-ish, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. but it's it's like a really bright and bold color of green. Yeah. But there's an interesting historical reason why bold colors like Shields Green became popular, specifically during this time. It was around this time that gaslighting was replacing candlelight. So you'd have traditional gas lamps that were lighting the streets at night and in the home. So that meant that everything was a lot brighter, especially at night when you're going to go out to some parties. People are mm-hmm. going to see you. They're going to know what you're wearing. Mm-hmm. So women were wanting to dress accordingly so that they stood out in the bright light. Mm. So Shields emerald, emerald Green was the perfect choice. Yeah. After this color comes out, people begin to use it for more than just clothing, as I said. So they use it more so in wallpaper and carpeting when it first comes out. It was a huge trend, so much so that Victorian Britain was said to be, quote, bathed in green. Hmm. Shields green fabric was used to make women's dresses, but also gloves, shoes, artificial flower wreaths that women would wear in their hair. I think it's very common, like in Victorian England, they, they would have like these elaborate headpieces, right? Mm-hmm. But of course, someone has to be in the factory actually manufacturing and putting together these clothing and other accoutrements. Hmm. So one wor- one worker was 19-year-old Matilda Schur. Matilda was a healthy young woman, she's only 19, who worked for a Mr. Bergerin in London, along with 100 other women in this textile factory. Matilda's job was to fluff the artificial leaves and then dust them with this rich green hue of Shields Green. When Matilda would use the powder, she would inhale it in with every single breath and would also consume it since she ate with her hands at every meal. Mm. And if you looked at her fingernails, they're bright green and it's Mm. all like just grimy up underneath her nails too. This brilliant green color was made by mixing copper and a highly, highly toxic arsenic trioxide, Mm. also known as white arsenic. Mm. So I guess the copper is actually what gives it the green. Right, right. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Why Uh, can't just you just copper? (laughs) That's a good. You know that I was looking for a question there, and I was like, I don't know what to ask. It makes sense. Copper, copper is green and fire. Like whatever. Like copper turns green. But that is a yeah. Like why arsenic? Maybe it had a better adhesion to material. Maybe. I don't know. Like. Maybe yeah, arsenic was a cheap alternative to some sort of yeah. uh, component that would be adhesive. I don't know. And then the companies yeah. knew about it and they're just like, uh, we're just going to keep this on the DL. <laughs> I wonder, I know, I know. I wonder if I had to really take a stab at guessing. Mm. I wonder because the, I'm sure the copper itself is like a high concentrate of the green. Mm. So mixing it into the arsenic trioxide, which is, as they say, a white powder, maybe that mixture forms that perfect green color, color green. that they're looking for, like that brighter green right. versus like a more darker green that they mm-hmm. already i'm sure they already have yeah the whole point was to have brighter colors and i'm sure the copper itself like as we know like we've seen copper we can see in um the statue of liberty liberty mm-hmm. is more of like a darker it's maybe dingy even dull it's a even. dingy green it's dingy yeah. correct i think i think you're actually absolutely correct i did a very quick google search and it did it does have to do with that when they developed this green it was this bright jewel-like tone mm-hmm. that i think only the arsenic mix of the copper could create so i think you're absolutely yeah. correct good good guess mm. all right teamwork makes the dream work all right 
this is going back to Matilda. The press details her untimely death as one that was out of a horror story. Matilda soon falls very ill. She begins vomiting green water. The whites of her eyes turn green, and she tells her doctor that, quote, everything she looks at is green. In her final hours... Sorry. What? In her... I don't know. <laughs> I was just thinking of something so dumb, it's not even funny. <laughs> okay, okay. Fair enough. I was just thinking, like, maybe she ate too many of, like, the Lucky Charms. Like, the great Lucky Charms. <laughs> well, I was just going to say, she's like the Violet in Willy Wonka. But that's a whole different yeah. thing. But um, when you talk about, like, her vision, she's like, all I can see is green. Like, my vision is green. I don't understand how that works. I don't either. <laughs> well, I think part of it, yeah, I think part of it is that it's, we'll come to know later, mm. she was heavily, heavily poisoned okay. with arsenic. Like, yeah. she had so much in her body, in right. her blood, that basically her skin was green. Like, she was just seeping right. out green. Like, all, anything, any bodily fluids are now green. And it's not so much that her eyes are green. Yeah. It's that, like, I mean, our eyes are always moist, moisturized right. with, like, fluid, right? Right. So whatever that moisture is, that is green. Gotcha. So, consequently, she, whenever she sees, it's green. Right. Uh, so, um, yeah, okay. Yeah. I, I need, like, an optometrist to eventually reach out and answer this question. But, like, if, if your sclera, yeah. the white of your mm-hmm. eye, all the way to your yeah. iris pupil, what have you, turn green yeah. because of reasons like mm-hmm. this even you could say like jaundice you know what i mean like sure. jaundice your eyes turn sure. yellow or whatever mm-hmm. do you actually start to see that color uh so if someone can fully answer that question and tell me the reason why that would be cool because yeah. like i can't i can't see the white of my eye when i'm looking no. out you know what i mean but you can't you can't you can't see the whites of your eyes the only thing i can think of is again like that fluid does cover the right. iris of your eyes so right like, right it's gonna give you those green tinted glasses i know she doesn't need to wear sunglasses she's got arsenic poisoning (laughs) yeah oh god in her final hours she was experiencing seizures every few minutes until she died with an expression of immense anxiety on her face she was also foaming at the mouth nose and eyes oh my god I don't want to ever have that visual in my head. No. Foaming at the eyes. I don't even I don't even understand. And it's just green. Yeah, they don't green say it's green, foam. but I imagine it's that's, green. That's what I imagine. I imagine just green yeah. foam coming out of her. It's that's nasty. Gross that's nasty. and sad. It's really sad. Yeah. Her autopsy found that her fingernails were bright green and that the arsenic reached her stomach, liver, and lungs. Mm. But this wasn't a sudden illness. Matilda was ill four times before with arsenic poisoning in the last 18 months. Mm. When Matilda died, a few organizations took up her cause to fight against the use of arsenic in everyday life. The Ladies' Sanitary Association, led by Miss Nicholson, decided to visit the workshops where these artificial flowers were being made. And she was shocked that the young women workers weren't even fully dressed. And what I mean Mm. by that is they weren't really in protective clothing or even having gloves, nothing like that to protect them from the poisoning. I also am curious, I think at this point in the story and at this point in time when Miss Nicholson steps into these factories, Mm -hmm. it is not known that the powder and the pigment has arsenic in it. So so you're, you're wondering that or it's not clear to you that they know that? It is. It's not. It, yeah. They don't know. They don't know that for a arsenic. fact. Okay. Yeah. People think that it's something else. They just think that they're, they're sick. Got it. And I'll get into that a little bit later. But just so everyone has some context. Yeah. It's not like it's so obvious, and people are like, "Why are they not doing anything about it?" They don't really know. Okay. At this time. I'm so, sure the owners know, like the factory owners know. But okay. They're not saying anything. Okay. Those were the questions that I had in my brain. <laughs> yeah. And I was yeah. like, I'm sure at some point she will get to it. I'll just be patient and not ask. But um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. but now I know because, uh, you know, that's my suspicion always, especially with this particular time period with um, yeah. companies. You know, we see it with the Fosse Jaw. We see it with the mm-hmm. um, Radium Girls, all that. It's the same story always right, right. of a company, uh, you know, management knowing full well what's in their product, mm-hmm. but, uh, you know, still having their employees work intimately with that product and being exposed to it 
so when you first started the story in my head, I'm like, there is no way their management didn't know because I'm mm-hmm. pretty sure at this point in human history, we are well aware of arsenic's consequences. I think we yes. know that arsenic is a poison at this point. So that's why I'm like, absolutely like confused by it. But man, they must have been so desperate to make that new emerald tone color that they're like, fuck it. We just go and poison everybody. <laughs> no, totally. And you're so right. They, Victorian England especially knew what arsenic was because pretty much, I want to say, this is just a stat I'm throwing out here from my brain itself, but it's, ni- I would say 95% of people in Victorian England had rat poison, which is arsenic, mm. on their shelf. You right, know? Like, right. It, it was just something that they picked up from their local chemist on a weekday and threw it at the rats to kill them you know like they (laughs) they had this you know (laughs) right right so i don't know like the context there wasn't enough detail that went into why they started using it in actual clothing but i don't think they were aware that it can also no the the manufacturer obviously knew what it was Mm. but i don't think that they thought it could cause poisoning like it could affect you through clothing right like once once it's been processed into this color and put into a product maybe that Mm -hmm. eliminates the the poison aspect of this so but we can only we can only hypothesize what was going on in their minds that's all a guess yeah all you need to know for this part of the story is that miss nicholson does not know and majority of the factory workers which are the women, they don't know either. They just know that they're getting sick. Okay. Okay. So with that in mind, so she she's there at the factory. She notices they don't have protective clothing. And most of these little girls had their hands bandaged to cover their blisters and boils mm. that were, of course, coming from the, the green pigment powder. One young woman was brave enough, well... In the original article, this was from the 19th century. They called her stubborn. Oh. The original, but I'm going to say she was brave. This Amen. woman was brave enough to say that she didn't want to work, mm. <laughs> and her, and that's because after seeing her fellow worker wearing a handkerchief, handkerchief that was soaked in blood, mm. and this said worker who was refusing to work, she had previously kept on working with the green pigment until her face was one mass of sores. Okay, she was almost blind. Ugh. I was worried you were going to say, I was, yeah, I was worried you were going to say until her face was one giant hole, (laughs) just like a giant hole in her face. I'd be like, that is no, I mean, sores are just as bad, but I was like, I was taking it to the next step when the sore just opens into, yeah. It just sloughs off. God. I hate that word. I I wish I didn't say that. Okay. (laughs) Miss Nicholson from the Women's Sanitary Association writes an article about what she sees. It was informative not only to the general public, but also to the women who worked in the factory. Because most of the women, as I said, they didn't know what that green pigment was mm. or what in general was making them ill or that it was even arsenic. The first signs and symptoms that the women got around the pigment were just like a really, really bad cold. Mm. So doctors first diagnosed them with diphtheria, mm. but the women were confused because were confused by that diagnosis because they knew that diphtheria was very, very contagious and you usually had to catch it from someone else around you. And they knew no one around them that had it. So like, that cannot, mm-hmm. that can't be it. Mm-hmm. And Miss Nicholson herself was like, I'm sure it's something else. So she enlists Dr. A.W. Hoffman, an analytical chemist with a worldwide reputation to test the artificial leaves. Mm-hmm. Dr. Hoffman shares his, his results with the public in a London Times article sensationally titled, quote, The Dance of Death, unquote. Okay, some quick background so this makes sense to everybody. The unit of measurements during this time was something called grains, like like a grain of sand type of thing. So grains instead of milligrams. And this is just a, a side note, but it will help people understand. If you ever wondered why Tylenol or acetaminophen, for example, is in a 325 milligram strength instead of like, you know, a straight 300 or 400, it's because of the grain system. The dosing of Tylenol comes from the dosing of aspirin, which is a very, very, very old medication, mm. which also comes in a 325 milligram strength. So when aspirin was originally being dosed, it was based on the weight of a grain. Mm. So 
a grain of a barley seed in particular, which is equivalent to 65 milligrams. Okay. So doctors would prescribe, for example, five grains of aspirin, which is, if you do the math, five grains times 65 milligrams, that's 325 mm. milligrams. Mm-hmm. Anyways, so that's how they are measuring dose strengths in terms of toxicity back in the day. Got it. That's really interesting. Okay. Yeah, it's cool. Barley grains. <laughs> Anyways, so 1.5 grains of arsenic is considered deadly or toxic. Mm. Okay. From Dr. Hoffman's findings, a dress made out of Shields Green contained 900 grains of arsenic. That is about 20 yards of fabric. And no mm. less than 60 grains of arsenic would powder off in the course of a single evening of wearing said dress. Mm. So these women, I know they're not like dealing with garments in particular, but they are the, the same thing holds up of the flowers. Basically, one factory is doing many different things. Mm. They are doing the artificial flowers. They're doing the dresses. They're doing the gloves right. and so on and so forth. So everyone's kind of just like working with everything. So that's so much stuff that they're just working with the raw material too. Right. That's if you're just wearing the finished product of the dress, right? Did did the company that created this dye, did they patent it? Was it like we're the sole providers of this one dye? I don't believe so because they're, this was a dye that was used in France, in Germany, mm. um, other parts of Europe as well. Okay. I'm not sure on that. Yeah. I, I just know it was used elsewhere. It right, wasn't right. just produced here. Right. But that means they could have been the providers internationally. That, but been. I will look that up for myself. So they said a woman carries in her skirts poison enough to slay the whole of admirers she may meet within half a dozen ballrooms. So female activists called on more chemists to warn the public against the use of arsenic. Wealthy women who wore the dresses were labeled as murderers. Yet it was the same privileged woman who were blowing the whistle whistle on the dangers of the green dress, also asking chemists to warn the public. First of all, that sentence pissed me off because mm. I'm like, yeah, wealthy women are wearing this, but they're not the ones making it. Like, right. they are, it's the manufacturer's fault. You know, right, they're right. the ones. If you really are going to go so far as to label people murderers, it's definitely going to be the manufacturers. Right. Uh, if anything, the women wearing it are, are part of are victims in this. Mm-hmm. Color and fashion was no longer invented by artists during this time. Color during this period was dominated by the chemist. Mm. And this is really interesting. Color science really came to the forefront with a French dye chemist, Michel Eugène Chevrel, where science really made it possible to create an infinite color palette to suit any consumer's taste, and it could be changed up with any kind of fashion trend. Mm-hmm. But what was even more important was that color chemistry was an equalizer. And what I mean by that is that previously ex- expensive imported animal or mineral dyes were bygones that could only be exclusively used and purchased by the upper class. Mm. But now with uh, colors made in a lab, essentially, women of all stations could wear all the colors of the rainbow if they wanted to for the fraction of the price. Mm-hmm. But there was a price. No color was more toxic than the green pigment that killed Matilda Schurer. Getting back to what you were saying, Megan, mm-hmm. not only was this arsenic in pigments, but it was also in rat poisons. It was in medicine. Mm. The fine white powder was obtained obtained as a byproduct of mining and smelting metals like copper, mm-hmm. cobalt, and tin. Mm-hmm. Arsenic was used to heal people. It was used to kill people. Mm. It even accidentally found its way into food and beer. This was a little tidbit that I found was really interesting. Food-wise, it was used as a dye for sweets, such as the brand or the type of candy called Green Blancmange, a favorite of traders in 19th century Greenock. And this led to a long-standing Scottish prejudice against green sweets. Interesting. Smart. (laughs) I know. I know. I know. A child could buy arsenic over-the-counter at their local chemist or druggist. That's just how common it was. The control of Poison's Bill in 1851 and the Arsenic Act of 1868 was passed in England that limited the amount of arsenic that could be sold to individuals, but it was completely legal to still use it in the industry. Mm. So it wasn't banned or anything like that. Mm -hmm. But what does arsenic do to you if it's in contact with your skin? Because a lot of the times... 
the cases that are going on, it's not like they're ingesting it. I would say the factory workers are, mm-hmm. but most people are just wearing it, right? Right. <clears throat> so what does it do to your skin? It's considered a caustic irritant where it will cause sores, scabbing, and my f- not favorite word, sloughing off of skin. Ulcers will form and white-rimmed cancerous scars that mm. look like craters, what a word, can appear anywhere on the body that the arsenic comes in contact with. Mm. And basically, the idea is, like, once those sores are there, it's it's basically has peeled off that area of skin. Mm-hmm. So that is now, like, an open entry wound for more arsenic to actually get into your body systemically. Right. Or any bacteria. I'm sure right. that everyone or that anything. had... Yeah, I'm sure that yeah, these, these workers had multiple diagnoses because of the arsenic. And oh, then, dude. you know... Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Some men in France worked with the pigment to make a more natural shade of green for clothing. So they would dye the cloth with their bare hands. And then on their breaks, they would pee. So painful lesions would appear on their balls and inner thighs that looked like syphilis. Yeah. So that's the, you kind of already hinted at that. I'm sure they had other diseases. Right, right. This also looks like other diseases. Right, So it's kind of hard to pinpoint what was actually going on. Yeah, that's pretty terrifying to be like i don't know it could just be arsenic poisoning or it could have arsenic poisoning and syphilis syphilis (laughs) dude honestly pick your poison i can't choose between the two (laughs) (laughs) women would finish off the cloth and turn it into leaves or bouquets the women would get nauseous have diarrhea anemia and then they would have constant headaches that would make them feel like they were being pressed in by a vise Mm. do you know what a vise is yeah 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 okay your head just getting squeezed yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. I was like, I had to look it up and I was like, oh God, that thing is a contraption. Yeah. I mean, it's, they still use them at like. They still use them, but I didn't know it was like called a, a mechanics and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes. Consequently, the French and German governments quickly passed laws to ban these pigments, but the British government did nothing. Mm. The arsenic clothing would also affect women who wore them out. Not as much as the workers, though. So I already said women who would wear gloves they would be horrified when their hands were covered in blisters after wearing them and this was like a really particular thing like like i said these types of pigments could be worn now by anybody like lower class middle class upper class doesn't matter Mm -hmm. and there definitely was some sort of um i don't know if it was prejudice but just maybe like a notion that women in the upper class felt like oh women who are in the middle or lower class, they're getting blisters from their gloves or their clothing because it's not like good quality or whatever it is. Mm, so they were under the assumption that, you know, I'm buying from House of Gucci my gloves. Right. I'm not going to get anything <laughs> Gucci. I'm not going to get any blisters on my hands. And then what women would buy gloves from really well-known shops and then their hands were covered in blisters. Right. And half the time... What they could do, what people have tried to do, is they would seal in the powder, and that mm. would definitely decrease the amount of, quote-unquote, leaching of arsenic onto the skin. Mm-hmm. But most shops didn't understand or have that process in their manufacturing. So what they would do is they would just kind of, like, dust on the green pigment, and as soon as you start sweating, it gets into your skin. Mm. There are horrifying stories of babies dying in their nurseries after playing on arsenic green carpet or touching the wallpaper or even licking the wallpaper. Uh, Even Queen Victoria had that same arsenic green wallpaper in Buckingham Palace. A foreign dignitary even told Queen Victoria that he felt the green wallpaper was making him ill. And instead of taking mad offense, Queen Victoria was cool about it. And she was like, all right, and removed the wallpaper. Mm. Good for her. Yeah, I know. It was cool for her. It was cool for her. <laughs> People who had wallpaper, so this is what I was going to get at earlier, that was a huge thing. Like, there mm. are a good amount of photos. If you look at paintings during the 19th century at this time, a lot of you'll see a lot of women in a drawing room mm-hmm. with bright, beautiful, bright green walls, and that is the arsenic wallpaper. Right. What people would say during that time, the wallpaper had a smell to it. It smelled like mice like had a Mm. mouse like odor to it right and that was when actually some other chemists i don't know if it was in england or elsewhere but they recognized that mouse like odor because it's 
it's reminiscent of arsenic. Mm-hmm. And so he was like, oh, that's bizarre. Like, I'm that's that's the same smell. I wonder what that is. And there was also someone who was doing, alongside Dr. Hoffman, there were other um, doctors and chemists mm. who were also researching this and realizing, oh, my God, like, this is arsenic. Like, we cannot be using this in our day-to-day items, you know? Mm-hmm. So people who were having wallpaper, arsenic-green wallpaper in their homes, and this is during the winter time too, mind you. So they're sitting in their homes, they have the fireplace going, they have this arsenic-green wallpaper, and they start to feel very ill. They get mm. all these like symptoms because they're basically, the they're burning off the arsenic and it's evaporating into the air and immediately going into their system. Mm. And as soon as they would go outside though, those symptoms would disappear. So you can just imagine like them sitting in there with the windows closed because it's winter time, it's freezing. They have all the windows closed. There's no ventilation. Then they have the fireplace on. They're like hot boxing themselves with arsenic. It's nuts. Mm-hmm. So there's just like no, nothing good to come out of that. So we talked about Queen Victoria. Also a tidbit with Napoleon. So he was exiled in St. Helena. He stayed in a house where the rooms were painted bright green, which was his favorite color. His cause of death was stomach cancer, and arsenic exposure has been linked to an increased risk of gastric carcinoma. Mm. Hair sample analysis uh, post-death showed significant amounts of arsenic. Another added effect to this is that St. Helena is a very damp climate, so it's likely that fungus grew on the walls and brought up more of that arsenic, too. Mm. So after all of that, you'd think people would immediately stop wearing this color, but they don't. Mm. For the sake of fashion, the color lived on, and in a big way, people still wore Shields Green for 81 more years. Wow. Until the government... Actually, no. I, was, I have it here that the government finally put regulations in place. They did not. Mm. It was basically because that color went out of style. That's the only That's reason so why they stopped using it. So interesting. So interesting wonder what color place or if like wallpapers went out of style or something like and they did they totally did go out of style at some point like i think wallpaper for a large chunk of time was very rare to have in your house yeah kind of on a similar wavelength we haven't talked about this but i think this is if you're into poisons and toxicology you know this of Mm. the mad hatter story and how you know actually during this time as well people would make felt hats and then they would have a brim mm. of usually with like rabbit fur. And in order to um, smooth out the rabbit fur on the brim of the hat, they would use mercury. And then mm-hmm. that would like go on your in your head and blah, blah, blah. It would make you mad as a hatter, quote right. unquote. But again, same situation, same story. There were no regulations put in place. Great Britain did not ban the use of mercury on those felt hats. And the only reason they stopped using that because felt hats went out of style, but they didn't go out of style until like the sixties. Mm. So and that was all the way from like the 1800s. Right. So right. the people that were working with the mercury, they were getting extremely, extremely sick and ill from mercury poisoning. But mm. you know, they still, they worked the factories. Cause I think a question people might have is why do this? Like get a different job. Don't work in this factory. But the issue is, it is a very hot commodity. It probably pays really well, and you know that it's going to be a consistent source of income for you and your family mm-hmm. for a long time. So instead of being poor and on the streets or not having like a decent paying job, you would risk your health in order to put food on the table. Right. So that was just kind of like how it worked back then. Yeah. Like I said, so it stayed on for 81 years why i couldn't even tell you people really tried to convince themselves that they that they'd be fine as long as they didn't lick the fabric or lick the mm, walls mm-hmm. and that just doesn't hold any water for me whatsoever right other people claim that the doctors are lying because science isn't real even though pretty much every victorian household as i said had a jar of arsenic in their cabinet to poison rats with so they, they knew it was deadly right Anyways, it took until 1895 for them to finally do away with arsenic everything. But as I said, it wasn't because of anything other than the textile manufacturers found cheaper ways to produce similar colors. Hmm. But Shields Green has had a lasting impact in the fashion industry 
there was a documentary that came out in 2005 of Signe Chanel, mm. one of the most powerful women in the Chanel house, who says that seamstresses don't like the color green. It is linked with bad luck, mm. according to them. And a quick medical fact before we end here. Mm-hmm. I mentioned this very early, early on in one of our earlier episodes, but arsenic trioxide, so the same arsenic in Shields Green, is used to treat a type of cancer mm-hmm. known as a- acute promyelocytic leukemia, mm-hmm. otherwise known as APL. And the way that it works is that arsenic can promote apoptosis or cell death but it also targets a specific protein found in APL, which is why it's used for that cancer in particular and not others. So interesting. Oh, I was going to say, maybe the reason why they, even despite knowing what was in the product and being like, you know what, I'm going to take the risk for the next 80 years because it's still in trend, you know, whatever. And you you had mentioned something like, you know, they mostly probably had the belief oh don't ingest it but wearing it or touching it is less of a problem part of me does think Mm -hmm. like i would like to know about the medical the history of the medical understanding of that era because i can see how maybe in a population where they're just so used to seeing arsenic associated with ingesting as a poison especially with rat poison you know rats ultimately would ingest it that was the whole point and probably how other like actual human poisonings, homicides were back in the day. It was all via like secretly making someone ingest it. So maybe they had this feeling of like, oh, as long as you don't eat it or ingest it, you're going to be fine. Totally. Ignore the lesions. Totally. We'll just ignore that. But uh, like, you know, that's why, you know, it's okay to have the wallpaper. Just don't lick it. It's okay to wear the dress. Just don't, et cetera, et cetera. So right. I feel like don't that's probably why. Yeah. I think so, too. I can see that. I can definitely see that. I mean, right. we know because that's their logic. The, right. I would say majority of people's logic was that. So interesting. Oh, um, when you mentioned poison dress, my first thought, I had actually looked into poison dresses when we first started this podcast because oh, yeah? I had just freshly watched Elizabeth, the very first one mm. in the series with Kate Blanchett. She plays Elizabeth. Yeah. Um, and there is a scene in that movie where someone delivers her a dress that has poison laced on the inside, but the dress oh. ends up in one of like her servant's hands or something. And she, yeah. I'm, I'm honestly totally forgetting the actual specifics of the scene, but basically someone else wears the dress and gets poisoned by mm-hmm. it. And that's why that's what, t- you know, Shoot. tips off queen Elizabeth that like people are trying to assassinate me. But I, I remember oh. seeing that scene and being like, is that real? Like, is that something that actually happened during that time, yeah. during the Elizabethan era? And I looked it up and it's totally debunked. Like, that didn't exist. Whatever, oh. the, the concept of putting poison onto a dress and then immediately, like, in the scene, she immediately gets lesions. Like, it's like, it's like acid oh, no, almost no, is no, on no. the dress, you know? Oh my God, um, no. But they were like, no, like, that mm. wasn't a real thing that happened during the Elizabethan era. Like, no one tried to assassinate mm. her that way. But it is interesting to be like to learn that there is such thing as poisoned garments, but not with the intent yeah. of assassination. It's just they were manufactured right. with arsenic in them. So that's cool. That's yeah. kind of a cool tidbit. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure she had so many assassination te- attempts. Mm-hmm. Now I'm curious about that. I mean, yeah. I'm into that on my off time. <laughs> just just watch the movie. Okay. It's a long one, but it's very decadent, it and the costumes are beautiful. Um, I like Kate Blanchett. She does I, not age. <laughs> so that's what I'm like. Is it good? Good is you know <laughs> someone's interpretation of a movie will be subjective. I enjoy it because of the costuming. I love a, a period yeah. piece. I love me, me some Kate too. Blanchett. Like she is yes, elegant. So of course I liked it. So I think it's yeah. good. <laughs> okay, I have never seen it, so I'm mm-hmm. I might just do that. Lovely. Okay, shall right. we go into antidote? Yeah, yeah. So my antidote is that the month of Ramadan, <laughs> for those for poison pals who do not know, I'm mm. actually a practicing Muslim, and mm-hmm. um, Ramadan is right around the corner, and um, I've actually been doing makeup fasting days from past oh. Ramadan that I, I had missed some days, so I've been doing some makeup okay. fasting, and I will tell you, actually, I've actually been doing makeup fasting throughout this month sprinkled oh, wow. sprinkled throughout this month because i'm like you know if i 
if I can just like do two every week, it'll, yeah. it'll add up and it'll be easier. Right. Like, I, right, right. But, um, dude, I, I don't know. It was hard doing the makeup fasting. My antidote is that I, I am finally feeling good about it, <laughs> but, okay. but doing okay. the makeup fasting, I was, it was a struggle. There were days and, um, like this is me being super vulnerable. I don't like, I think yeah. it might be hard to potentially relate if you ultimately, you know, you, you know, believe in this stuff, that's fine. Mm-hmm. But like, like, uh, when you fast, the intention's supposed to be there. Um, yeah. but when I, when I made my intention, it wasn't strong. Like I, mm. I would like be like, oh, let me just feel out for the day. If I get hungry, maybe I'll just eat, you know, because it's, because yeah. also it's this yeah. feeling of it's a makeup. You know, it's not the actual right. thing. So I was right. very loosey goosey with the rules there. Um, but yeah. th- that is all yeah. to say, Ramadan starts on April second. I've been doing my makeup fasting, and it's finally getting easier. So I feel ready, and I'm actually kind of excited. I always get excited. It's our one yeah, big holiday, I love so. That. <laughs> yeah, totally. Gotta live it up. Yeah. I'm so proud of you, Megan. I didn't oh, even realize. And you know, I always am in such awe every single year because Megan, as, as long as I've known her, and I'm sure beyond that too, <laughs> you've been doing this yeah. and fasting as well. And I. I, and I'm not saying this to even be funny, but mm-hmm. when I don't eat for a long period of time, I, I can't handle it, right. you know? And I've always wondered because, um, there are certain holidays and reasons in Hindu culture as mm-hmm. well that where people fast. Right. And I always wondered, I'm like, could I do that? I'm sure that if I put my mind to it and set that intention, as right. you say, I could do it, but I have such mad respect to you, Megan, and to everyone practicing every year for Ramadan, it is, it takes a lot of discipline to, yeah. to not have to curb those cravings until oh, the yeah. sun goes down. My gosh. Definitely. I don't know how to do it. Maybe I'll do for, it one of these days. Maybe I'll do it. Yeah. Just yeah, only if you want to, but I, I've okay. always had friends in high school growing up who knew that, mm-hmm. you know, I'd be doing it and they'd always be like, yeah. I'm going to try it out. And it wasn't like a, I'm telling you, like you have to, you know, I was your friend as a Muslim, like do it for yeah. me. No, no, no. I mean, it was never that way. They were always so intrigued. <laughs> And very much like, I want to try just to see what it feels like. And I felt like it always was a positive thing for them after they did it. Uh, Mm Because it just creates understanding and awareness. Um, I will say for a long time in my life, I didn't used to get hangry. And even throughout college, Mm -hmm. it wasn't something that would happen to me. And I always believed that it was because I had been introduced to this concept of fasting at a very young age. And even only, yeah. even though I only do it for yeah. once one month of a year, I think there mm-hmm. was this like ingrained like I don't know like I just didn't get hangry even outside of right. uh, the month uh, throughout my life, I and it's it. not until recently that I am getting hangry. <laughs> I don't know, maybe my body's yeah. changing or something, but that's that's maybe that. yeah. I do believe like it does get harder as you get older, probably but, um, yeah. I always think like I'm on the verge of diabetes. So I'm just like, Oh my God, my blood sugar is so low right now. I like, yeah. I was like, I just imagine if I were to check, I'm like, Oh my God, yeah. <laughs> but I need to have food. But yeah. you know, um, I do want to try it with you one, one of these days. Cause my mom does, she does uh, fast. Mm. She's supposed to fast every Thursday is what she says, but I don't mm. know if she still does that or like sticks to that. Yeah. But I'd be curious to, to do that with her or with you. Yeah. Uh, is that, is that a spiritual thing for her? Yes. I think very similar, like the reasoning why is very similar to why you would fast Ramadan is mm. to just create that discipline and just kind of um, be present right, right. of what you're doing throughout the day, that kind of thing. Yeah. And then ending the day with a meal. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I guess mine is kind of like vulnerable too, sort of, maybe. Mm. I was just going to say I have... I think I've been doing a lot of reflecting. I don't really know why. I don't mm-hmm. have time to reflect, but I think I'm procrastinating in many ways. <laughs> so I'm reflecting instead. But um, in my reflections, I've realized, like, and what kind of brought this on was I went home last week to mm-hmm. San Diego after moving up. And I had, I just, I, it wasn't, like, anything exceptional mm-hmm. in the sense of, like, me being home. I was with my parents, and it was, like, the usual. Like, we didn't mm-hmm. do anything crazy or out of the ordinary. But this time was very special because I just felt very um, loved and supported. Like mm-hmm. I just felt very um, comfortable being in the presence of my parents and lucky to have these two people who are 
really much like pillars and Mm. mentors in my life. And more than that, I've realized that this is me putting, uh, giving myself a pat on the back here, Mm. but you know, I don't think, I think most people have, um, can have tumultuous relationships with their parents at Mm. some point in their lives or maybe all their lives. And it definitely hasn't been like a smooth road between me and my parents by any means. Mm -hmm. But I think I am proud of myself for putting in the work of having some harder conversations with my parents over the years Mm. where now we have come to a really beautiful point in my relationship with both my dad and my mom and myself where we're friends like I have Mm. gotten to the point where they kind of see me or they do see me as a grown woman and a grown adult who has her own life and family who they really much respect and Mm. we can we can speak to each other and relate to each other on a totally different level Mm -hmm. that has really brought us super super close and I think I'm very grateful for that relationship or that transition to this new chapter between the three of us it's just really, really nice. So, yeah. and I also, you know, give my parents a lot of credit because I know a lot of parents don't like stepping into that role mm-hmm. of, you know, seeing their kids as more like friends. Mm. So it definitely takes two to to make this work. So um, I'm really grateful that I have parents that are totally fine with that and and embrace that part of me. Yeah, that's truly beautiful. That really is. And I I know that you've worked really hard to build that. Um, make that a stronger thing with your parents. So that's really, really beautiful. I I do think that parents, if, you know, if, if people, if a parent is still connected to their child, there's always going to yeah. be something that's like, I'll always see you as my kid. You're always going to be that For little sure. child, sure. you know, that envisionment. But I think it's really saying something when a parent is able to, take that mindset and be like while well, I'll always see you as this little kid mm-hmm. and someone that I've seen like grow and make mistakes over and over again I can respect you as an adult and understand totally. that you have grown and have your autonomy mm-hmm. etc cetera, etc cetera. and I think that's something that like really awesome people that happen to be parents mm-hmm. are capable of doing yeah you know yeah so absolutely yeah. I think you said it perfectly. What it comes down to is when you are able to transition to that level, it's basically your parents acknowledging that you acknowledging your growth mm-hmm. and that you have grown. Yeah. Um, I think that's really, really important. Yeah. But anyways, yeah. So Aww. shout out to my parents. Shout out to them. What a wholesome <laughs> end to the episode. I know. Some nice wholesomeness. <laughs> love it. Love it. Well, thank you, and Harini. An hour. Yeah. Thank <laughs> you, Harini. Which is always nice. <laughs> Yeah. Nice job today. And Thank you. Thank um, you. thanks for tuning in, Poison Pals. Uh, Harini, take us away. Take us away. Yes. Don't risk it for that green eye foamy biscuit. <laughs> <Ew>. <laughs> I will Sorry. not risk it anything Don't for that it. foamy ass green biscuit. Mm-hmm. All right. Peace. Bye, people. Bye. Bye.